0: Acts chapter 28, verse 1. Acts chapter 28. We're actually just going to do verses 3 through 9. How's that? No, 3 through 6. Acts Acts chapter 28, verses 3 through 6. We don't need all that. Acts 28, 3 through 6. I'll explain the context after we read it. This is what the word says. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked, a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. Father, speak to us today mightily by the power of your word and spirit and give us understanding, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? amen. Wasn't that a powerful time of worship? Come on, you can do better than that. What a powerful time of worship. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, worship team. That was awesome. We're going to talk this morning about the power of God. Now, I said that 2024 is the year of power. That's the theme for the year. We've said that the enemy has done much to make you feel powerless and weak. But in 2024, God is reversing what the enemy has done to make you feel powerless and weak. God wants you not just to know that you are powerful, but to be powerful and to experience your life as a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life. Wouldn't it be awesome to wake up every morning with just this sense of, man, I just feel empowered by God, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that I'm living by his power, not by my power. I'm living by his word, not by my word. I'm living by the energy that he provides. Even when I've run out of my own energy, I'm living by the power of God being connected to the flow of the power of God. I don't think we often enough appreciate what it means to be connected to the power of God and what it means to be disconnected from the flow of God's power. Now, all of us experience from time to time or have experienced from time to time the phenomenon that we, know, we call a power outage. Now, in our region, in the Kirker Pass, I would think we probably have more power outages than the normal folks have. Probably because we're off the grid and we're out there in the middle of nowhere. We still have, we're connected to PG&E and uh, we have solar on the roof, but the solar doesn't work at night and so we are still dependent upon PG&E for our power needs. And so when the power grid goes down, our house gets disconnected from the flow of power. And when our house gets disconnected from the flow of power, there's a number of things that transpire. That There's an immediate disruption to our life. And when you're in the midst of a power outage, if you really stop and think about it, you get a little scared. Because everything depends upon this power outage being temporary. Everything depends on them restoring power as soon as possible. You see, if it happens before I go to bed, the power better be on by the time I wake up in the morning. Because so much is going to happen. The first thing that's going to happen when the power goes out is that the lights are going to go out. You lose the light because you're disconnected from the power. The second thing that happens is that you're disconnected from the, fl- the flow of information. You can't turn on the TV and watch the news. And so you don't know what's happening in the world because the power flow has been disrupted to your home. The third thing that you lose is temperature control. You lose your AC and your heating because even if it's 110 degrees outside like it was last summer, as long as you've got power flowing to your home, the temperature outside doesn't have to be the temperature inside. You have control over the internal temperature in your home as long as you are connected to the power. Can somebody say amen? The fourth thing that you lose control over is connection. Because if the power stays off for long enough, there's no way to charge your mobile phones. And when you have, when you lose your mobile phones, you lose the ability to be connected to other people that are outside of your physical vicinity. And suddenly you lose the ability to have fellowship with your family members and friends whom you love. And so you lose your light, you lose your information, you lose temperature control, you lose connection. And the last thing that you lose when the power goes off, eventually all of your food starts to spoil because the power leaves your fridge and it warms up and the food begins to spoil. So you even lose the capacity to steward large portions of food for a large, for a long amount of time. We can't imagine if there was some type of post apocalyptic uh, catastrophe in which all of the power grids went down across the nation within two weeks. We would be living like barbarians again. Everything depends upon a continued flow of power to our home. Well, I'd like to suggest to you today that the church has entered into a barbarian age. We are living in a post-apocalyptic barbarian age in which most believers have been disconnected from God's power for years upon years upon years. And many believers have come into the kingdom but never connected to the flow of power. So they don't know what it's like to have temperature control. Where it can be the world, what's happening in the world outside doesn't have to be happening inside because you've got power to change the internal temperature. Believers who have come into the kingdom but are living in the dark because there's no power. You see, when you turn on the light, you can see things clearly. And you have clarity about what's happening in your life. When you have clarity, when the light is on, you've got faith. You've got clarity to see that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You have faith to see that no weapon forged against me shall prosper. But every tongue that rises in judgment against me, I shall refute. You have faith to see in the midst of a catastrophe that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. But if you've got no light, then it's just as dark for you as it is for the world. Now, the Bible says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And then it says, As darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people, God said, I will cause my light to rise upon you, that the nations will be drawn to that light. But a church that is cut off from the flow of divine power has no light, and our lives are just as dark as the world's lives are. Cut off from the flow of divine information. There's no prophetic, as it was in the time of Samuel. It said the word of the Lord was rare in those days. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. There were no widespread revelations. Nobody was hearing from God anymore. Nobody was getting prophetic words anymore. Nobody was getting any divine information, and everybody was okay with that. Because the power was off. The power was turned off. That we are, we are living in a time of spiritual power outage in church. It's time for us to wake up. Because, because listen, if the power grids in this world go down, there might not be anything we can do about it. But there's something we can do about the flow of divine power. Because God never stops the flow of His power into our lives, but unbelief stops our reception of the flow of God's power into our lives. God is calling us to wake up and to reconnect with the power of God toward us who believe. Now in Matthew chapter 22, in Matthew chapter 22, there's this verse where the Sadducees are questioning Jesus. And what they're trying to demonstrate is how ridiculous the teaching about the revelation, the the resurrection is, you see the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that the Pharisees were actually charismatic. They believed in the power of God. They believed in miracles. They believed in the resurrection of the dead, but the Sadducees did not believe in the power of God, did not believe in miracles, and they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They believe that when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. It's over. So the Sadducees said to themselves, we're going to show Jesus how ridiculous the idea of the resurrection is. So they approached Jesus and they said, Jesus, I want to tell you a story. There was a man who was married. He had six brothers. When he died, as Jewish culture was, his younger brother took his wife as as his wife. That's what happened in the ancient world. If the brother dies, the next brother takes the wife. Well, he died too. And so the third brother took her as his wife. And all seven of them died. So in the resurrection whose wife is she going to be? Since all seven of them had her. They thought they were going to show Jesus how ridiculous the idea of the resurrection was. And Jesus responds in Matthew 22:29, Jesus answered and said to them, "You are mistaken." You know what it literally says there? "You are in error." You are in error. You are in error knowing neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You're in error. You are mistaken. You're wrong. Your perspectives are wrong. Your life is out of whack. Why? Because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God either. You are ignorant of the scriptures and you are ignorant of the power of God. Every form of error comes from either an ignorance of the scriptures or an ignorance of the power of God. And honestly, the two go together because if you know the power of God, you'll also know the scriptures. Meaning, when you read the scriptures connected to the flow of divine power, they make sense. But if you try to know the scriptures apart from the power of God, you're not even going to know the scriptures. Because you're going to miscorrect me, you're going to interpret them misco- wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Help me, Lord. Yeah. The problem in our world, in our culture, yeah. is that we are living in an era, in an era, in a time yeah. in which ignorance masquerades as knowledge. Yeah. So that when someone says, I don't know, What they are really saying is, because I don't know, the truth about this cannot be known. In other words, if you start with ignorance, and then you respond to your ignorance with pride, then your ignorance will masquerade as knowledge. You will insist that your ignorance is a form of knowledge. So if you don't know if there's a God, and you respond to that ignorance with pride, then you will insist that there is no God. When all you're saying is, I don't know him. Now that ignorance is masquerading as a form of knowledge. Remember, I asked you a question last Sunday. There are 30 cows in a field and 28 chickens. How many didn't? Now, some of you knew that already and you threw out the answer immediately. The answer is 10. Now, how many would say that don't make no sense? See, some of you are afraid to raise your hand, even though it don't make no sense to you. That's okay. I watched a video where a young lady was talking to her father, and she said, Dad, there were 30 cows in a field and 28 chickens. How many didn't? And he goes, what are you talking about? And he starts getting angry. What are you talking about? There's 28 chickens. How many didn't? What are you talking about? She goes, listen to me. There are 30 cows in a field and 28 chickens. How many didn't? He goes, What are you talking about? He starts getting angry. That doesn't make any sense. He's angry. His anger indicates that his ignorance is a form of knowledge. He believes his ignorance to be a form of knowledge. Instead of, listen, ignorance plus humility equals teachability, ignorance plus pride equals angry insistence that because I don't see the answer, there is no answer. It doesn't make sense because I don't see it. Then the daughter said, the problem is you're hearing me say 28 chickens is in the number two, eight. But I said 28, A-T-E, chickens. 20, A-T-E, chickens. There were 30 cows. What you heard me say is there were 30 cows in the field and 28 chickens in the field. I didn't say that. I said there were 30 cows in the field and 20 of them ate chickens. How many didn't? And the answer is 10. And all of a sudden, when she explained it to him, he went from anger to, oh, oh, in other words, I was wrong to be angry and insist that my ignorance was a form of knowledge. One of the worst things you can do to someone who's disconnected from the flow of God's power is offer to connect them. Let me pray for you. One of the worst things you can do is offer a word of encouragement to someone who's disconnected from God's power and say, you know what? God is going to intervene in your situation. How dare you tell me that God's going to intervene in my situation? You don't know what I've been through. You don't know. I've tried everything. I've prayed for everything. I've prayed and I've prayed and God still hasn't done it. How dare you tell me? How dare you? And I've this happened to me again and again and again and again. Were you just trying to encourage someone? But they are so entrenched in their ignorance that they believe it to be a form of knowledge. Ignorant of God's power simply means I don't see how God can do anything about this right now. But you know what? I don't, believe, I don't live by what I see. I'm not dependent upon what I see. God, you see things that I don't see. You understand things that I don't understand. You see a way where I don't see a way. And you're able to make a way where there is no way. What if we lived like that? Now, remember what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. When he's standing on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And they say to him, Lord, are you finally going to do it? Are you finally going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you finally going to do the thing that we've been waiting for you to do? And and Jesus responded, it is not for you to know the things which the father has set in his own power. But you shall receive what? What? Power. Look at your neighbor say power. power. He said, It's not for you to know the things that God has set by his own power, but you know what is for you to know? You shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and what does the power of the Holy Spirit empower you to do? And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, When you receive power, you become a witness. Follow me. When you receive power, you become a witness. When you receive power, you become a witness, which turns on its head everything that we believe about God's power. Because my knee-jerk understanding of how God's power works is that God's power comes to provide for me what I desire and what I need. Instead of God's power empowers me to bear witness to the resurrection and glory of Jesus to others. Meaning that the way God's power manifests in my life is a witness to others. It's not about meeting my personal needs, wants, or desires, it's about empowering me to bear witness to others. Literally what when Jesus says to his disciple, you shall be my witnesses, witnesses of what? Witnesses of the resurrection. Jesus is saying you're the only ones who've seen me. I didn't appear to the world. I appeared to y'all. Yeah. 120 of you. Yeah. But that's okay because you 120 are going to go into the world and be my witnesses. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is going to come on you and empower you yeah. To bear witness to my resurrection successfully. Meaning there's going to be multitudes who believe because of the way my power works in your life. The first thing that you must understand is that the primary function of God's power in your life is to empower you to be a witness. To make you a witness. Somebody, it means somebody else is watching you. Now we don't understand witnessing. Because the way we think about witnessing... You have to be able to convince someone with your words. So we, we typically define witnessing as arguing. And you ain't led nobody to Christ with your arguing. And even the folks that you think you led to Christ, you didn't. You just got them to say a prayer. He never said you're going to go out and lead people in the sinner's prayer. That that's the goal. God can use the sinner's prayer to save people, but not everybody who says the sinner's prayer gets saved. Some people say it so you'll leave them alone because they're tired of you. God did not call us to bear witness to the logical veracity of the gospel as a proposition. He called us to bear witness to his resurrection and glory, which means that our primary mode of bearing witness is power. But because we've been so disconnected from the flow of God's power, we have no witness. A powerless church is a witnessless church. And nobody believes looking at your life because there's no manifestation of God's power in and through your life. But when somebody sees the power of God manifest in your life, wow. you don't have to say a word. Because, yeah. see, this is the thing that we don't always understand. Is folks are watching you. Yeah. People around you are watching you. Now, in this passage in the book of Acts that we read here at the beginning, what is it, Acts 28? What happens is Paul is a prisoner. Yeah. He has appealed to Caesar. He's on a ship heading to Rome. He's going to appeal to Caesar and be sentenced to death. And they're going to behead him. That's how he's going to die. So Paul is in his last journey towards Rome where he will stand before Caesar. He will be sentenced to death and he's going to die. Paul is on the way to die. Paul has lost everything. He's lost his ministry. He's lost his itinerary. He had to cancel all of the the trips that he had planned. He's lost all of the churches, the Gentile churches that he's planted. He's on his way to die. And midway through that journey, their ship gets shipwrecked. Their ship wrecks near an island called Malta, which adds insult to injury. Because I'd be praying for the power of God to preserve our vessel. Give us traveling mercies. How many of us pray for traveling mercies? God, give us traveling mercies. Protect this ship, oh God. So, Lord, let the sea be calm. You who calm the wind and the waves. Parking lot favor. We believe in the power of God to provide us a parking space, don't we? Oh God. Lord of the winds, thou who hath made us by, provide for thy servant a parking space close to the front of this Safeway. <laughs> and the Lord speaks to Paul and said, your ship's about to wreck. But everyone has to stay on the boat. So Paul goes to the centurion and goes, the Lord stood by my side last night and said, the ship's going to wreck, but we're all going to live as long as we stay on the boat. There were some folks trying to get on a lifeboat and get away. So he goes, cut that lifeboat. They believed Paul. The soldiers who were taking him to be killed believed him because they had seen the power of God in his life. And sure enough, what he said came to pass. Everybody survived. They come to the island the islanders welcomed them. But it's cold and rainy. So they said, everybody gather wood for a fire. So Paul, like everybody else, because he was the great apostle, he didn't think he was too good to go gather gather firewood. He goes and gathers firewood, like everybody else, and the islanders are watching, just watching. Look at these fools. Let's see what happens. And Paul has a a bundle full of firewood that he throws in the fire. What he didn't know was that there was a venomous snake inside the bundle. He's carrying a bundle and a venomous snake is in it. He throws it into the fire. And before he could pull his hand back, the heat drives the venomous snake out of the fire and it latches on with its teeth, sinks its teeth into Paul's hand. And he lifts up his hand and shakes the snake off into the fire. And the people watching him from the island, the natives of the island, they see this and they go, you see that? You see that? Let me tell you what happened right there. See, what happened was this man is a murderer. He survived the sea, but justice will not allow him to live. The first thing that happens when God's getting ready to show his power in your life is something bad happens to you and people think evil of you because of it. It's uncomfortable. When God's getting ready to show his power in your life, something bad happens to you and people think evil of you because of it. First thing you need to understand is when you see something bad happen to somebody, never assume that God is not pleased with them. Never judge somebody because of what happens to them. They must not have been in the will of God. So they said, let's just watch him. They're watching him. Any minute now, he's about to kill over and die. Watch. Just watch. Watch. Look. Look at him. They went to their friends. Hey, you see that dude over there? He just got bit by a poisonous serpent. You know he's a murderer. See, God got him. God got him. And don't even look at somebody and say, God got him. Yeah. You don't know? Yeah. Don't be so quick to attribute God's hand to someone's calamity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because listen, we're too quick to do that in our own lives. Yeah. I was just journaling recently and I said to the Lord, I feel like you threw me into the lion's den and let the lions devour me. And the Lord said, I did not throw you into the lion's den. I am not the author of your calamity. You don't believe that about yourself and don't believe that about others. You say, well, I just need to understand. No, you don't. It ain't none of your business. It's none of your business. How mom and dad, that's one thing we learned growing up. If, mom, if mommy or daddy is dealing with one of the other sons, you do not stick, stick your, your two cents in. It's none of your business. It is none of your business what God does in somebody else's life. Look at him. They're going around the island. Hey, Frank, check this out, Frank. Joe, come over. You see that guy? Any minute, he's about to kill over. To watch. Just any minute, he's about to swell up, fall over, and just die. Why? Because he got bit. You see that mark on his hand? A poisonous, venomous serpent jumped out of the wood and grabbed his hand, and, and he's going he's to die. Watch. And 30 minutes goes by. Huh, he should have been swollen up by now. An hour goes by. Huh, he should have a fever. He ain't got no fever. He seems fine. An hour and a half later. I I don't think it's going to happen. Two hours later. I think we were wrong about him. He ain't a murderer. He's a God. (laughs) All of a sudden. First, something bad happens to you that makes people think evil of you. But then that bad thing that happens to you doesn't have the effect it's supposed to have. Something that should have killed you doesn't kill you and they don't know why you're still alive. Come on, Rick. Something that should have stopped you from having children couldn't stop you. All of a sudden you conceived and bore a child, Pastor Sonny. Something that should have made you suicidal actually strengthened your resolve to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul. You look back on your life and the stuff that should have killed you but didn't kill you. That is the most powerful witness to the resurrection and glory of Jesus. Paul had not said a word to these people. He had not witnessed to them. He had not ministered to them. He had not preached to them. He didn't give them the four spiritual laws. He didn't take them by the hand and say, Can you say, Lord Jesus? He didn't say, Repeat after me. He just lived when he should have died. Sometimes that's the power of your witness, that you live when you should have died. And suddenly somebody comes to you and say, how are you standing under this? How are you surviving this? And you say, it's the Holy Ghost in fire. And it's keeping me alive. Keeping me alive. Keeping me alive. It's the Holy Ghost in fire. Come on, I want to take y'all back. Where's my organist? <laughs> Here he comes. Y'all remember that? That's what I grew up on. It's the Holy Ghost in fire and it's keeping me alive. That's the power of God. Because listen, when the power of God sustains you through things that should have taken you out, that is your witness. That is your witness. That people can look at your life and say, he should be dead. She should be dead, but she's still alive. Something is different about you. See, we tend to believe that the power of God is supposed to protect us from going through stuff. And that's not in the Bible anywhere. The power of God, there's no promise that the power of God will protect you from ever going through tribulation. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise. But then he said, fear not, for I have overcome the world. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Now watch this. Watch this. They see this happen. Paul doesn't even know they're watching him. Yeah, 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 yeah. He doesn't know anybody saw what he went through. And if he did become conscious that somebody saw his suffering, what he would have naturally wanted was compassion. Because if you, see, when I'm suffering, I want you to see me suffer and have compassion on me. I want your empathy. I want you to suffer with me. But let me tell you something. In the body of Christ, we can give that to each other, but that's not who your suffering is for. Your suffering is not for the people who will have empathy on you and compassion on you. Your suffering is a witness to folks who don't feel nothing towards you. Folks who don't care nothing towards you. That's who's supposed to see you. Folks who don't feel for you at all. Folks who think you're getting what you deserve. Folks who think that you should have got worse. Folks who think finally God is judging him. Finally God is getting her. That is who is supposed to see you suffer. That's who the witness is for. And all of a sudden, they saw Paul survive something that should have killed him. And what transpires on the inside of them is they're taken from an ignorance of the power of God to a knowledge of the power of God just by observing the miracle in Paul's life. You and and I would have felt completely forsaken by God that we got bit. God, I thought you loved me. You let that serpent bite me? I would never let a serpent bite my child. Just stand. You see these videos where parents just stand there and watch their kids get hurt and laugh about it. They're all over Instagram. Some of them are kind of funny. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> but some of them give me pause like, nah, that ain't right. I saw one where a, a little boy was trying to hit a tee ball off a tee. And his little sister was standing behind him. And he missed the ball and hit his sister in the face. Pow! And his daddy was just filming and laughing. And then the boy took another swing. Missed again. Bam, hit his sister right in the face and the daddy is just laughing stop filming and pick up the little girl yeah. <laughs> 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 but there's almost no greater compliment that your father in heaven can give you when he says my son is mature enough to handle this My daughter is strong enough to walk through this. And you know what folks are going to see her walking through this and be connected to the flow of divine power because I allowed my child to walk through this and come out on the other side with greater joy than they had in the beginning. And you know what happens? You know what the aftermath of this situation is? The governor of that island, his name is Publius or Publius? I hope it's not Publius. There's some unfortunate names in the Bible, I ain't, gonna, I ain't gonna lie. He hears that this guy Paul is shipwrecked on the island and invites him to come. And in the whole Roman troop, they all bring him in. He invites Paul to speak. And Paul starts to speak, and who's around? the people that saw him survived the snake bite, but Publius himself was sick and in bed. And and Paul, or Saul, by the way, Saul did not become Paul, but that's another sermon. He goes in and lays hands on Publius and heals him. Where did the faith come from? The expectation that this meant that there's a power in this man's life that has authority over sickness and disease because if a serpent bit his hand and couldn't kill him then there's some power in that hand you see sometimes what god does in your life to preserve you through calamity sets somebody else up who watched you walk through it to receive the ministry that only you can give them And then Paul looks around and every sick person on the island had been brought right outside the doors. The people who saw him survive went and told the whole island, bring all of your sick, bring all of your afflicted. The power of God is here to heal them. And Saul went around and laid hands on everybody and everybody on the island got healed. There was a revival on that island because he got bit by a serpent. There was a revival on that island because he got bit by a serpent and did not allow his ignorance to masquerade as knowledge. Because he got bit by a serpent and didn't accuse God in his heart of not loving him. He got bit by a serpent and didn't accuse God in his heart of rejecting him. He got bit by a serpent and didn't accuse God in his heart of not caring about him, of not protecting him, of not hearing him. He had no controversy with God. You see, this is how you stay connected to the flow of divine power. If there's anything that will disconnect you from the flow of divine power, it is accusation in your heart against God because you had to walk through some calamity. Paul had to have been bit, shake it off in the fire, and say, God, I don't know why I had to go through that, but I know that you love me. I don't know why I had to walk through that, but I know that you're with me. I don't know why I had to walk through that, but I know that you who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And because Paul remained connected to God through his calamity, he was able to enter into the ministry Of the Holy Spirit. You see, we tend to think that there are believers and then there are ministers. And that distinction is not in the New Testament. Every believer is called to be a minister. But the way into the ministry is to stay vitally connected to the flow of God's power in the midst of your calamity. If you can stay connected to God's love in the midst of your calamity, Then God's power continues to flow through your life, through your calamity and bring you out on the other side. And this is the thing, you know, I was this week I was meditating and, you know, one of the prayer meetings my wife and I had this week was really discouraging for me. Because at the end of the prayer meeting, my wife said, you know, I'm tired of stuff not working out for us. That every time we say this is it, it's not it. Every time we think here's the breakthrough, it's not the breakthrough. Every time we think here's the move of the Spirit, it's not the move of the Spirit. Every time we think here's the harvest, it's not the harvest. Every time we think this is the financial breakthrough, it's not the financial breakthrough. I'm tired of stuff not working out for us. Yeah. And I was so troubled by that. At first I tried to argue with her. No, baby, just trust God and believe in <laughs> God. You know, that, do that thing. Well, God, God knows. Yes, of course she knows that he knows. But I was so troubled that in my heart all day long, something rose up on the inside of me. And I said, you know what, God? She's right. Hear me out on this. I said, God, I'm tired of our testimony being that they are, have been preserved through many failures. I'm tired of that being our testimony. Because every time I share a testimony with you, it's this didn't work out, but God is good. We thought this was going to happen, it didn't happen, but God is good. I think last week I told you stories about folks that I fasted and prayed for and they died. And I just left it there. You went home thinking, wow, (laughs) don't pray for me when I'm sick. (laughs) Everybody he prays for dies. And I thought, you know what, I don't tell enough of the stories about the folks that we saw raised from the dead, yeah. about the blind eyes that opened and the deaf ears that yeah. were unstopped. I don't tell enough of the stories. And you know, typically those stories happen. those experiences happen when I'm at the end of my rope. And I'm like, "God, you don't hear me." And then all of a sudden I get a call, and it happened to me years ago, I got a call, go to the hospital and pray for my nephew. What happened to your nephew? He tried to commit suicide. How did he do it? He opened up his med- medicine cabinet, took out all of the medicines and swallowed all of the pills. All of the pills from every single me- every he emptied his medical medicine cabinet in his stomach. Then he passed out on his bed and fell into a coma and he wasn't discovered for 8 hours. He's in the ICU. They said he's brain dead. And they told us that we need to think about pulling the plug and letting him go. Would you just go pray for him? I had zero faith. I I said yes out of love. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go. But inside, I'm like, it ain't gonna do no good, but I'll go. It ain't gonna do no good because God doesn't hear me, but I'll go. And so I went. I walked into the room and something happened when I walked into the room. When I walked into the room and saw the man all connected and completely gone, faith was born in my heart. How many know that faith is not of yourself? It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. How many know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? It's not something that you muster in yourself. God gives a gift of faith in a supernatural moment. I can't tell you how many people I had seen die. But when I walked into this man's room, faith came alive. And I laid my hands on him and I called out his name and I said, come back. It's not your time. I command you to live and not die. I saw no change, but I felt in my spirit that it was done. And I went home. The next morning I get a call from his mom, you're not going to believe what happened. And I said, He's dead, right? <laughs> like that's, that's right. That's what I, <laughs> she said. No, he woke up an hour after you left the room. But it's even better than that. Because the doctor said if he wakes up, he'll be completely. He's got his brain damage is so severe that if he wakes up, he'll never be able to speak. He'll have no motor skills. His, the quality of his life. You don't want him to wake up. His brain is fried. She said he woke up and had all of his motor skills and had all of his powers of speech and the doctors can't understand it. Said his whole brain has been healed. I said, I got to go see this with my eyes. I went back to the hospital. I went back to the ICU and he's not there. I said, where is his, I gave them his name. They said, he's been moved down to the general population. He's in room 3E. I went down to room 3E. I walked in the room. He's reading a newspaper, sitting in bed just sipping on some soup. I said, excuse me. He said, yes, can I help you? I said, do you know who I am? He goes, no, I've never seen you before in my life. I said, well, I just wanted to come see you and say hi. Hi. He said, hi. I said, I'm going to go now. And I walked out of there. He's like, all right. (laughs) I saw it with my eyes. He came to me the next Sunday at church. He came running up to me. He goes, I didn't know it was you. He said, I was in the dark. And I heard a voice calling my name. Saying, come back. It's not your time to die yet. (laughs) And the next thing I knew, I woke up. And I marveled. Because I had no faith. No faith. You know, I realized something recently that me having faith doesn't make God more or less powerful. That me feeling something doesn't make God any more powerful than He already is. And me not feeling something doesn't make Him any less powerful than He is. He is who He is, He does what He does, He has what He has. He said, I am the Lord who heals you. He is the healer. He is the great physician. You're going to see the glory of God this year. You're going to see the power of God this year. You're going to see miracle signs and wonders this year. You're going to see the lame walk this year. You're going to see the blind see this year. Why? Because I got a river of life coming out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I got a river of life coming out of me. And guess what? You got a river of life coming out of you. But you got to make a decision. Listen, you got to make a decision. I'm not going to disconnect because of my calamity. You got to make a decision no matter what comes or goes. I'm not disconnecting. You got to make a decision. I will not become unbelieving because of my calamity. You got to make a decision. I'm not letting my pain or my hurt disconnect me from God's power, disconnect me from the flow, disconnect me from faith. Because you don't know who's watching you. You don't know who's watching you walk through your calamity. You don't know who's watching you walk through your tribulation. You don't know who's watching you. You don't know who's watching you waiting for you to kill over and die, waiting for you to swell up, waiting for you to stop breathing, waiting for you to stop, waiting for it to fall apart, waiting for your marriage to fail! You hear me? You don't know who's watching your marriage waiting for it to fail so they can creep in there. Come on somebody. You don't know who's watching you waiting for you to fail with your children. You don't know who's watching you. You don't know who's watching you. But listen, you're not supposed to know who's watching you. You're not supposed to stop and think about who's watching you. The only thing that you're supposed to worry about is my eyes are on the Lord. Come hell or hot water, my eyes are on the Lord. No matter what comes or goes, my eyes are on the Lord. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Come on, somebody. Stand up on your feet right now. Come on, give him a shout of praise in this place. Give him a shout of praise in this place. We believe in the power of God. We believe in the power of God. Ignorance plus humility equals teachability. Ignorance plus humility equals teachability. God... I don't know your power in this area. But Lord teach me. Teach me. I don't want to be ignorant of the power of God anymore in this area where I don't I don't see how your power can change this area of my life. God teach me. I don't see how your power can break through in this area of my life. God teach me. God teach me. Teachability. Teachability. There's a communal aspect to teachability. Somebody pray for me. You know what? When I realize in certain area of my life that I'm ignorant of the power of God, I call somebody to pray for me. I call my mom, pray for me right now. I call my daddy, pray for me right now. Why? Because I don't have to remain ignorant. I don't have to live in the dark, but I'm not going to tolerate living in a power outage. I'm not gonna tolerate the power being off in my life. I'm not just not gonna get some candles because I've learned to live without turning on the lights. I'm not just gonna get some ice because I've learned to live without a refrigerator. I'm not just gonna learn, I'm not sending messenger pigeons because I've learned to live without a cell phone. Come on somebody, you need to make a decision. I'm not living in the darkness anymore. I'm not living without the power of God anymore. So help me God, I'm gonna reconnect I'm going to reconnect. I'm going to live in the flow of divine power. Come on, lift up your hands right now and reconnect with the flow of divine power right now.